So welcome to episode 80 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, and I'm joined once again by uh, Darren Hill. And Darren, it was good that uh, that my uh, prediction of free agency came true, because not much happened in free agency yet. We're sort of still waiting for a lot of moves to be made, so it's been a bit boring, hasn't it, thus far? I think um, maybe you missed it today, but Davis Bertan's little brother got waived, Daz. Ooh. So that that's is that the what you're talking about? That might be the, the, the that might move. be the domino people were waiting for. <laughs> that's right. Actually, well, Giannis's brothers signed with the Bucks as well, so it's been yes. a, it's, yes. a, it's a brotherly act out there at uh, in Milwaukee for next yeah. season. I know the Lopez brothers. We just need the Morris brothers, and we'd have we'd have something going. But yeah, Giannis <laughs> strong arming in the Milwaukee Bucks to getting his brother is one of the most outrageous egregious, embarrassing pieces of player leverage I think we've seen in the last uh, seven minutes <laughs> in the NBA. Yeah. So Well, that was one of the things. I, so there's a couple of things I want to do. Obviously, we jest, and there's been a ma- number of massive moves uh, right across the NBA since free agency started, but there's so much there to digest. I don't think we do it justice to sort of try and go into a transaction by transaction. I think we'll we'll yeah. do some uh, some pre-season previews or off-season reviews, however you want to sort of look at it in the coming weeks, and we'll sort of look at how individual teams went. What I want to do tonight is really go over two separate areas and I, that have stood out to me. And the first is really about this player empowerment era, and I think that's that's what the the big story to me was out of the sort of the whole Kawhi Leonard saga, where Kawhi Leonard ends up going to the Clippers with Paul George, and just I guess look at it from the point of view of the way players have really taken over the league now, um, and the fact that Paul George can go to AKC and request a trade, and basically twelve hours later he's on his way. Um, but and, and then the other thing I wanted to look at was the big competitive advantage I think that exists within the NBA, and yeah. this is to me has been the big story of the off season. Whereas if, if you've got good ownership, that there's no big competitive advantage I don't think in the NBA in terms of what you're able to do, uh, and and the the teams that consistently struggle and we sort of consistently shake our heads at have very poor ownership and the teams that consistently uh, exceed our expectations have very good ownership. But I wanted to start with the, the player empowerment thing and just sort of tie a bow on this, Daz, because we saw it very, play out very differently with Kawhi Leonard who could have gone and formed his own or... I shouldn't say if he's own super team. We go on and join the super team there at the Lakers with LeBron, AD, and Kawhi. Uh, and instead, he said, and and we had heard this from a while ago. And this is why the whole Kawhi to the Lakers thing never quite washed with me because it, the story always was coming from him. He wanted to form his own team, and I do remember a report back in the Spurs days when I was sort of following this very closely, that he, there was a report that he was ringing around other guys and saying, come to Brooklyn with me was the team that was thrown out at that point and we can start our own sort of team there. Uh, And that's obviously what he's done all but in, in the Clippers in the end. So, and the, and the, the, the Twitter or, or, or sorry, the tweet that summed it up for me was, when I looked at it, and I think I shared this with you, where it said, uh, if you requested a trade in the NFL, you probably end up in Buffalo. <laughs> Whereas when you request a trade in the NBA, 
things can generally work out for you yeah. and end up where you yeah. want to go. So what, the, was that the big story to you coming out of this, just that the player empowerment here is, is that strong now, that the players are actually moving the chess pieces around us, not just LeBron, it's Kawhi, it's KD, it's Kyrie. You know, th- this is just completely overtaking the league. And I think most people will look at this off-season and say it's not a terrible thing that's happened because we've got... The most interesting season we're about to head into, I think, uh, that I can remember certainly, probably for the last uh, sort of 15 years in terms of not knowing what's going to happen and not having a prerogative favourite to win the win the title. Um, yeah, so it's, it's certainly a continuation of a theme. Right? I think obviously LeBron gave credibility to it by backing yourself and doing all the, what do you do, one you'd sign those one plus ones for three or four years in a row, like the ultimate risk-taking measure, right? Um, but we've also seen them, the super maxes and, and teams do that way as well and see teams get hammered, you know, with the Chris Paul contract or the Russ, Russ Westbrook contract or the John Wall contract. So uh, team ownership seems to be almost harder than ever where, you know, your healthy stars like... Kawhi and Paul George now for me the probably the most the most shocking of them all in, in a way the Paul George one today you know we got the strong arming you out of it or what they'll do is they'll torpedo your season like Kawhi did in San Antonio or they will slug their way and slough their way through a season like Anthony Davis did last year or you know I didn't we'll get into this as well but then or you've had the examples of like Kristaps Porzingis where you know, he's trying delicately on a first contract. So he kind of needs to be, you know, towing the line a bit, but also trying to send a message to the rest of the league that, you know, my ownership sucks. So, you know, and trying to take control of his career and find a way to get out of out of New York and underneath, you know, um, Dolan and I guess it were Phil Jackson. So it's a um, it's a it is interesting, right? That that feels like the risk and the complexity and the challenge of of competing has shifted almost entirely to ownership and general managers. And so it does suck for fan bases, especially uh, imagine this OKC fan base living through the the unbelievable brilliance of what you could really draw the logic here, Daz, right? That Sam Presti turned Serge Ibaka into Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, five first-round draft picks, right? Because <laughs> when Ibaka got him Oladipo and a draft pick, which turned into Sabonis, right? Oladipo and Sabonis turned into Paul George. Paul George turned into the most unbelievable haul um, that in any single trade ever. No, This is, I guess, a fact, right? Well, at least Windy reported that, you know, five first-round picks have never been traded in a single deal before. So that's a long way of saying, right, that the, the, the Oklahoma City fan base in particular has been, you know, up and down the ringer of they've lived through the, the blessings and the curse of player empowerment and and so many angles to take from your opening there daz but yeah it's a um it is in full force it shows no signs of slowing down um when we're going to come up to the next super max deals right that ones have just been signed or sorry the max deals this year which have been like the chris middleson tobias harris who else got 180 million this off season um, um well, Jamal Murray, thank you. That's the other one I'm thinking of. Murray, uh, Butler got his four-year max. 
Uh, D'Angelo Russell got his four-year max, obviously a smaller number, but still. So that's the next wave of, you know, what? that's the next wave of will those turn into albatross contracts? Well, and this um, is where I think it's going to turn. So I think yeah. player pa- players have the power when they're, the better player, like when they're when they're in their peak, obviously, I think it's a lot of these contracts now are poison pill contracts. So Westbrook's a terrible contract. Uh, John Wall's a terrible contract. Uh, I'm not Chris convinced. Paul. Yeah, Chris terrible. Paul's a terrible contract, right? So, and I think so. There's going to be a time now, and you're already seeing a little bit with Chris Paul, where it, it then becomes the team screwing over the player to a, to a certain extent or just trying to get off that contract. So it is a two-way street where you've got t- players saying, well, this team's no good, I'm gonna, I want, I want out. Uh, and then uh, you know, teams who have signed the contract saying, well, this player's not as good as we, we hoped he would be or we're paying for past performance now, let's get out of this contract. So I do think it's a two-way street. I think where it's where the rubber's going to meet the road is when one of those teams digs their heels in and says, you've got two years left in your contract, you're not being traded, we expect you to come back to... Uh, or they ship them to, you know, uh, to Phoenix or something like that and just say, Well, Get and out that's of what our, I mean. That's, that's, that's a very fair point, and we haven't seen that case yet, right? I think the, the, worst, the worst of it, right, we've seen with Kawhi in San Antonio who by every uh, reasonable um, evaluation was healthy enough to play but chose not, and Anthony Davis then completely destroying New Orleans seasons in both those cases, right? Ownership said, you're miserable, but, you know, we gotta we got to finish the season at a minimum, and Pop, right, tried to talk sense into Kawhi, but that seemed like a bridge that, that couldn't, have been, um, couldn't have been built. And obviously there was really no going back with the Loomises and what Anthony Davis did completely destroyed the trust of the ownership down there in New Orleans. There was no going back there either. But you're right, there there will be a point which is really hard to get your head around, and I think that's a, it's really, really hard to do. Like, we've seen lesser players get sent home. You've seen Derek Rose get sent home. You've seen J.R. Smith get sent home. You get, you've seen Joakim Noah get sent home and kept away from the team, right? Jimmy Butler, while he was doing his kind of Minnesota holdout, gets sent away from the team. Like, if you're going to be in that situation, that is such a distraction because the team is so small, right? And they travel all the time. These are intimate, intimate teams, right? These guys know everything about each other. So that's just really easier said than done for an owner to call their bluff, and what, you know, um, keep him away from the team and what's it, you can't keep him from talking to his teammates and that sort of stuff. So that's a hard one. That's, that's really hard. So I think you'll see these lesser players, like I mentioned, that group getting still getting sidelined and getting their distractions quarantined from the team. But, boy, howdy, I don't know if you see it. We saw it play out last year with Anthony Davis, right? Team just said, all right, fuck it. We don't want you playing. You're an asset. And he kind of forced his way back into playing. So... It's a hard one. That's a that's a really hard one. Yeah, I think there's two things too. I think because of the smaller teams and because one player can make such a difference in the NBA, which makes yeah. the NBA unique in terms of sports, and also draft picks are so much more valuable um, than in other sports. So yeah. you know, generally you look at NFL, MLB rosters, uh, etc. Yeah, trading one player out generally is not going to change the trajectory of your franchise. Whereas, obviously, in the NBA, there is yeah. there are true franchise players and true guys that can uh, change change the way everything's going to go for the next sort of ten, fifteen years potentially. So that that you, you're playing with very very um, 
high stakes when you when you're talking about these guys. So uh, quickly on uh, quickly on the player empowerment too. Did you catch Zion's uh, summer league debut? Any of that? The fact that he got injured. Well, he got injured. I don't know how serious the injury was. I think it was in season that you probably wouldn't even be hearing too much about it. I think it's more because of summer league and they just want to keep him in cotton wool. But uh, there were a couple of impressive players. I didn't watch all of it. I only sort of saw the highlights of it. But uh, he's um, he's a force of nature, Daz. I saw a few. I saw a few highlights. I didn't watch summer league. I won't lie. Um, but the, the highlights I saw was I, I forget who he was playing against, but. Um, the team had gotten a defensive rebound, so Zion's team missed. Their team got a defensive rebound, and he goes over kind of on the baseline, rips the ball from the guy's chest, swings his arm, does like a you know a quick spin move on the baseline, and, and thunders it down in the in the crowd, which had basically been kind of you could say sort of half on the edge of their seat. They just absolutely exploded when they saw him do that. So I saw that one highlight, Daz. That was what jumped out at me as the. The ferocity with which he plays is really fun. Well, it was Kevin That's Knox as well, so it wasn't was NBA, it Knox? Okay. actual yeah. NBA player. Even the Knicks bench were up. <laughs> so I think he's going to be exciting. There's no doubt. He's going to be fun. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's move on to the second part of this, though. And this is the more interesting part, I think, in terms of, as I say, what stood out to me in, in free agency was just how big an advantage it is for to have good ownership. Within your with your NBA team, and I guess let's start it here, Daz. I mean, to, in your mind, what does good ownership look like? Like, is is it just a matter as simple as saying, look, you're going to empower people to make the right, bring the right people in, and then empower <clears> them <throat> to make decisions in their area of responsibility, um, or is it more nuanced than that? Uh, do you think when you sort of look and 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 how? How similar is it to sort of your world? I mean, you're in the corporate sort of area. How similar is yep. it in terms of the higher level management that you deal with? And, and can you see, um, you know, some sort of similarities between the two uh, when you look at an NBA team and how it should be run? Tons. Yeah, it's same. It's just big organizational management. So um, you're, you're onto something there with, with the empowerment and staying out of the way. That's definitely... An aspect of it but the word i use a lot and i think even i'm going to give us some credit as i think we've been talking about this for a few years um, but it's especially important now with what's happening with the player empowerment quote-unquote movement um but the word is alignment right so we've talked about this before and i remember my rants in the early days of daz and daz were um the box were you know had the the own the future was the um the business side, the business operations was around the branding and the marketing. They had Jabari, a young Chris Middleton, you know, young Giannis, uh, even Brandon Knight kind of off and on back then, but a really, really young team. And Kidd was, an, again, unproven, unknown coach and commodity at that point. And John Henson had some promise as a defensive player, etc. So quite a young team, and it was all about own the future. And that's fine. Like, okay, that's that made sense. That's a good strategy, uh, a good business strategy. And then that's why I will never let go of, and that's why you heard me violently react to the, again, the loose, let's call it colorful language that Zach Lowe was using um, when talking about the Raptors, when the Bucks betrayal of in the future by trading draft picks and a young player to get Grievous Vasquez, for instance, that has the basketball operations side doing something completely opposite of the business operations side. That's the definition of misalignment. And that's when organizations get into to serious trouble and that's what you find at the you know in the middling levels of the nba and a lot in purgatory 
and a lot in places like like in you know we'll get into this when ownership and the general management like the Lakers very famously and very publicly both um, during the trade deadline and certainly up until yesterday and continuing on this complete misalignment between um, organizational philosophy ownership um, expectations and general management basketball and business operations executing so absolutely see it um, every day and we could almost go case by case through the key teams and the for agency here, Daz, and kind of pick out the ones. Well, I argue too, Daz, I think you need to look at, from ownership point of view, what are your deliverables as an owner, right? Let's take it higher level. And I look at someone like Michael Jordan, and I think Michael Jordan thinks, my deliverable is to try and win a title with this team. And I'd argue that, no, your deliverable is to make this a profitable business and then, you know, allow people to make, uh, again allow people to make the right decisions in their area of responsibility rather than... Because he can't help himself but to inject himself into basketball decisions. Uh, you know, well, And that's where he, I think this is right. that yeah, organisation fair... gets into trouble. I think you see it with Jim Dolan. I think you see it with Journey Bus. I think you see it with uh, Robert here is, Sarver. Here is why... Um, so just on this point of... So what are the deliverables was the question. And I think making them a profitable business, I'm going to actually make a slight modification to that, where that sounds reasonable in the corporate world. Actually, not reasonable. That is a, a minimum expectation for for shareholders, especially publicly listed, and even private companies. That's a very clear you know, objective. But in the NBA, Des, I don't think profit is the driver. Why do I say that? <clears throat> it's like owning an investment property in um, prime real estate in Tokyo or Manhattan or, as it were, in Sydney is that these franchises are the capital appreciation, the valuation of these franchises continues to just be almost meteoric in its, in, its um, in, in rising, right? So the value of the franchises are in the multiple, multiple billions now, whereas 10 years ago they weren't, right? These were, and I, we'd probably pull up the list of Forbes, you know, NBA valuations from the 10 years and just look how fast it's grown. And so that's why I think there's a, that's why this big debate now is why, Tillman Fertitta gets such gets crucified for what he, pers- I guess, as we would believe, didn't allow Daryl Morey to do um, last offseason and having to get rid of the Mabat Mutes and Trevor Ariza's and that sort of stuff and having to get in the, you know, the, the minimum salary guys. That's why there's such criticism of, of tight owners who refuse to have 55-win teams, for example, go into the tax is that one, you're already a billionaire. Two, the value of this franchise is in the multiple billions. And so three, when you're, you're choosing to scrimp on an extra five or 10 or, or 20 million is literally almost rounding errors. I'm not saying it doesn't hit. I'm not saying it's immaterial. But in the grand scheme of things, for championship caliber teams, I think it is absolutely something that needs, should get fair criticism. Which in begs goes back to your very first question, which is the, uh, the, the deliverables of ownership. It's going to also depend a little bit by owner. Michael Jordan, one, isn't the, he's the voting owner, but he's not a billionaire, right? Did Michael Jordan's pockets as deep as Steve Ballmer's? Not on any universe, right? So profitability and keeping a competitive team and gate sales um, and making the first round of the playoffs, I'd say Michael Jordan is actually more like a Herb Cole or a lot of the other middle market teams are where by winning 44 games and making the playoffs to get the you know, playoff revenue for X, X million extra, that's a big deal. And you need to, have, to need to be trying and winning as many games as possible to keep interest in the local market good enough, right? 
Um, so that's the fine line where, where these non-super-mega-deep-pocketed owners um, really have a much tougher needle to thread because if they are trying to scrimp and always stay under the tax and try to stay competitive, that's when you're going to get the situation like we see in Phoenix or like you see in Charlotte where the, just, um, the pockets aren't deep enough or, um, and they just can't keep you know, buying their way into the, you know, into success. Well, and that's a good point because the, Charlotte is, I mean, their success on the court is more linked to their profit off the court than, say, a Knicks or a, or a Lakers is because yep. of their... And then you get into the... And I, I think you touched on it there. And one of the big decisions to me in the off-season was the Bucks not re-signing Malcolm Brogdon. And that's where you look at it and say, well, that was an ownership decision to me, Daz. That wasn't a basketball decision. Like, that was ownership saying, we don't want to pay the tax. To me, outside looking in, that was ownership saying, we don't want to be in a situation where we're paying tax and then repeat the tax to keep this team together. I didn't see that as a basketball decision. To me, the, the, the simple basketball decision, let's bring this team back. Brogdon's a key part of that. It's not really going to hurt our cap going forward in terms of bringing other players or new players in. Uh, and I think as a result of that ownership decision... Milwaukee uh, are not going to be as strong heading into next season as what they otherwise would have been. Um, does that now that that but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong decision. I guess it's more about that's how ownership can impact on free agency. It's not just about the basketball people making basketball decisions. There's a lot of things that go into it, and what the ownerships see as their own yeah. deliverables. Can, can influence that. Although, you know, when you look at someone like Jamie Diamond's balance sheet, you wonder why he's skimping on paying a luxury tax, Daz. I mean, what's what's the point of owning an NBA team, to what you said earlier? When you get up there and you're up at the tippy top and the Bucks, you know, everyone would have them in the top two or three teams in the NBA heading into next season. What's the point of owning a team and then, and then skimping back at the last second and saying oh you know I could pay a bit more to win it and you're not guaranteed to yeah, win a championship but it a, helps the team that bit more yeah I don't have the data I, I, this is, would be a fun exercise to do in the off season but to look at the estimated personal wealth of the 30 NBA owners I would submit that the Bucks ownership is probably somewhere in the middle but they're definitely way above you know say the ownership in um, um, like Charlotte for example and um, and Memphis, for example, was I think the guy's got like a franchise business, so they're up there. They're hedge fund guys, but they're not anywhere near right the the James Dolan or the Steve Ballmer or sort of sort of levels, right, or um, that sort of thing. So let's call them right in the middle, right, just for argument's sake. Maybe they're top ten. And so um, that being said, I think that's a right. It's a good test case. So we've got a sixty-win team who's lost. Probably their second or third best player. Probably their third best player. Let's give Middleton credit. Probably for financial reasons. I think it's a fair conclusion. Now, where I will give slight benefit of the doubt is that um, if the strategy by the basketball operations side of things, i.e. John Horst and company and Budenholzer, who earns triple what John Horst earns or quadruple, so his voice is very strong, is to try and balance the having a little bit of flexibility and having a little bit of assets in the chest to allow yourself some other choices, right? That's part one. And part two, the fact is that they signed a lot of guys 
to multiple-year deals, right? So Bledsoe's in for three. Brooke Lopez got his four-year deal. Chris Middleton got his five-year max. They still got a lot of long-term money committed. Plus, Giannis is eligible for the Supermax next year. So I go, they're going to have a whole bunch of money tied up in a very few number of players a year from now. So I think the strategy is, yes, financially driven, but they're trying to find um, thread this needle of win enough now. Can we do enough to get 60% or 70% of Brogdon's uh, capabilities and more depth in our team, plus give ourselves a few assets for a future move in the future, plus give ourselves a little bit of wiggle room when, me- when Giannis signs his mega deal next summer. That's what I think is the reasoned, rounded view of what they did. So did they get worse on the court? They did. Did they avoid the tax this year? They will. So those two things in isolation sound pretty fucking short-sighted. To your point going, then what's the point? That being said, if they win 55-plus games again next year and get to an Eastern Conference Finals or better next season, and Giannis now signed up for, let's call it a five-year $220 million deal again, um, I then start to give them a bit of a benefit of the doubt because they're going to go deep into the tax and they'll start their repeater tax then a year later. So, so yes, I think it's a it was short-sighted. I think that's a fair comment. Uh, I'm still going to give them another year to see how this plays out. Does that make sense? Yeah, look, I, yeah. I'd like, and, and to your point about having all the facts, I'd like to know if there's any medical facts and we know he hasn't been the most durable guy had injury issues in college is there anything on the he's medical got side weird of things feet. yeah he's, got, but, he's, he's had these red flags all through college that's why he was so old when it came out he's got it's like something like really really flat feet or something does like there's it's something like that they're almost like you know just pancake feet there's no arches so they're prone to having all this pressure put on them so mm. um that's definitely a factor as well but just your point about ownership. Um, Bucksland is pretty pissed off about it, um, but I'm I'm still in the camp that I'm going to give them a bit of the benefit of the doubt that they spent a ton of money and they're they're gearing up for a Giannis supermax and they just wanted a few assets. So well, look, I I think that trade could have been there, you know, down the track anyway. Well, I know. That's I that's my argument. I, I think bring this it's team. A fair back. This is I. W- I think they would have been prohibitive favourites if they bring Brogdon back and sort of keep the band together. But anyway, we'll we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I, I I feared as in the playoffs next year, if, particularly if Eric Bledsoe shitting the bed again, you might be uh, looking over and thinking, gee, wouldn't it be nice to have Malcolm Brogdon um, coming in at this stage in the game rather than the, than the George Hill or you know on that Wes, Wes Matthews different type yep. of player, but he'll be getting some yep. of those. Minutes, etc. So, let, yep. but let's on the ownership side. Let's look at some of the teams that are struggling, and I think this is. Let's look at re- ownership red flags. Does so to me, and I'll, and I'll give you the example of Steve Barmer versus Jeannie Bus. Right. So I listened <laughs> to Steve Barmer on on the Great. Bill Simmons pod. This is about eighteen months ago, and I, I think I actually said to you, I was because I was not a. I didn't really know what to make of Barmer. You know, he, he he's a larger than life figure on the sideline. We know he comes from the sort of tech background, and then I was really super impressed with him when he spoke to Simmons. And, and all he was about was what I want to do with the Clippers brand. You know, this is what I'm going to do with the fan experience. This is how we want 
people to see our team, etc. He didn't get into the the basketball side of things. He didn't say anything about you know what what I think we should be doing on the, on that side. You know, what Doc you know, Doc Rivers' future or future of players or anything like that. He was just all about the business side of it, right? And then you hear Journey Bus, right? And she's talking about well, you know. I'm friends with, I, I like Luke Walton. I think Luke should stay on as coach and, you know, yeah. talking about sort of free agency moves and all that sort of stuff. And you're thinking, this is not, this is not quite, you know, the same sort of, you just didn't get the same feel that she had the same vision and I guess drive for what, what she was wanting the Lakers to be as what he did with the Clippers. And I think in some ways that's played out in, in, in the off season where the Lakers are a bit of a mess. And it was quite clear that, that Kawhi Leonard <laughs> yeah. was much more interested in going to a stable organisation yeah. like the Clippers. And the fact that the Clippers didn't leak anything from the meeting. So when he went into the meeting with the Lakers, for example, within a minute, it's the, the, the details of the meeting have leaked. What was said in the meeting was leaked. You know, Magic Johnson's going out giving press conferences, etc. right? The Clippers, we didn't hear anything about that meeting. Nothing. And that was, and I think that probably impressed Kawhi. And, and they obviously knew Kawhi was going after Paul George and all this sort of stuff. I mean, that was the most impressive thing to me about the whole Kawhi going to the Clippers, the fact that we did not hear. The only, I heard one thing that they were trying to get an extra player in, and I did hear that report somewhere that that's, that was what the hold-up was because they were seeing whether the Clippers could bring in an extra player or not. But I, and I don't even remember where I heard that from. But uh, I thought that that was one of the most impressive things and that was a big a tick, I suppose, um, for what for what the Clippers were able to do in the, in this off-season. I think I'll zoom back out even to a finer point and say um, back to ownership. We have just seen the Los Angeles Lakers and the New York Knicks embarrassed their pants down around their ankles, shamed, literally shamed in the ownership circle of the Billionaire Boys Club and Billionaire Girls Club, in this case, with Jenny, with Jenny the absolute shame, right? The Los Angeles Lakers immediately announced the signings of Contavious Caldwell-Pope, JaVale McGee, Jean Rondo, he must be French, <laughs> and De Boogie De Cousins, right? Uh, whatever his name is, right? Immediately, and, and well, a, that was and their an, plan B. Yeah, right. And you'd normally and say what? that's your plan E, but when you put all your eggs in one basket, I'm going to go. I'm going to going to go even worse, right? And, and they and they paid Danny Green two years, thirty million. Two Which years, is crazy thirty contract. million, crazy. Which I mean, so here was their strategy. They're like. Hey everyone, we're gonna overpay you. They gave Javale McGee another two-year deal. Like, oh my God, Rondo got a two-year deal. Um, insane. They go, hey guys, we're gonna overpay you to not have a deal. Here's the here's the deal in paper. Let us wait to see what happens with Kawhi. Right? That's humiliating. Mm-hmm. That's embarrassing to have. They had to have all those things in place, knowing that the Kawhi deal couldn't come off, and of course, it it didn't. Humiliating. The Knicks didn't even get meetings, right? I mean, to say that the jury is out and Bill Simmons says it, we've all seen it, and this, we can bring it back to ownership, but it's the um, the New York Knicks are an absolute train wreck in terms of organizational alignment, 
absolute, complete train wreck. Schmalzel. No player in the player empowerment era who is about brand and business ventures and multiple streams of income and legacy and, you know, and fame and building themselves into, you know, Kawhi Enterprise and Durant Enterprise and all these ventures, right? They want, they want to live, which is brilliant. It's brilliant, right? It's a brilliant thing to do to use your power during the five, six, seven, eight, ten years of fame that you have, leverage it to the max, so you're set up for life. It's a brilliant philosophy and strategy for the players to do it. And so that's why we see teams like Brooklyn will be the ultimate host entity, as I call it, right? They're just lucky to be hosting Kawhi, uh, sorry, uh, KD and Kyrie for the next few years. It's just, you're a host, right? almost like a surrogate mother. <laughs> like you want to get really, really fit and be quite attractive and and um, prove that you have this great genetic makeup so that one day you could prove to be a surrogate. That's what's kind of becoming of these companies, uh, their companies, right, of these franchises. Dads have got to almost view themselves as how do we become the most fertile environment, uh, a surrogate of sorts, an ecosystem where players can come and maximize their time here, even if that time is only one year, two years, or three years, how do we make it as fertile and rich as possible so we can continue to attract and to nurture um, the the stars to want to come and play here? So just totally the antithesis of the Los Angeles Lakers, which is all about you You will be lucky to come work with us and, and come work for us. Yep. You should feel pride to be here. Look at look at all these stars. Look at look at Kobe. Look at Magic Johnson. Look how great they are. You too will be great, perhaps one day if you know you come work for us. This entitled mentality. And New York, I don't even know what that how you classify that other than complete systemic incompetence and and nepotism and intellectual rot from the core. Um, uh, well, I think that the, uh, the, yeah. the Knicks have an unearned exceptionalism. Whereas at least the Lakers is somewhat earned. Like there is some history there. Whereas where the Knicks get <laughs> yeah, off it's thinking. A very fair point. And, I, and yeah. I said this to you when we previewed last season, and, and you were really down on the Knicks. And I said, I, I think the Knicks are going to be more competitive than you think because I thought if they want to be a player for free agency, who's going to want to join a, you know, a, a 17 win team? And as it turned out, no one. Because why would you? Like, you, you're starting with a complete blank slate and not a blank slate that, that's going to set you up for success. A blank slate that's going to set well, you up for fun. Even, even more, right? That's exactly right. And look, look where the Nets came from. The team who suffered the greatest um, lopsided trade in the history of the league, right? Absolutely decimated. Scorched earth for assets for years. No lottery picks. None. Right? a new arena in a new city with a really small fan base, right? They had nothing going for them. Yes, they're in Brooklyn, but they had no fans, no base, no assets, nothing. And what did they do, right? They used their cap space. They used trade exceptions. They found undervalued assets like Karis LeVert deep in the draft, undervalued assets like D'Angelo Russell, and on and on and on, right? And what they've done is just systematically, inch by inch, uh, transaction by transaction, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, built themselves a terrific culture and this ecosystem, right? Yes, and they also had on the business side of things. Now they've got the, the Rock Nation guys on board and the Alibaba stuff we keep hearing about. And I go, now they got both going. 
really, really super strong basketball ops and really, really clever business ops. Now you got yourself a rich environment. What do the Knicks have? This unearned entitled revenue streams from this beautiful, 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 iconic building called Madison Square Garden, right? That's why Dolan sits on his on his ocean of money. He's got so much passive income, right, from MSG and MSG TV rights, so much passive income that it doesn't compel him to want to, to sell or do anything different. So what the Knicks get, they get lottery picks like Christoph Przingis, and they nail a lottery pick like Christoph Przingis. Nailed it, right? Nailed it. Superstar potential. In injury notwithstanding, what did they do? They had unprofessional treatment. They alienated him. He was forced to play the triangle. <laughs> he was saw the, this, that sycophancy going on. They saw the Phil Jackson coming into the sidelines to teach the triangle while Jeff Hornacek's over in the corner trying to, you know, teach, you know, whatever, some something else. Just absolute, complete dysfunction. They got him run out of the city. And what do we have in Brooklyn? We're singing the praises of, you know, um, Spencer Didwitty and Joe Harris and, and Jared Allen and the rest of it. And so Kawhi, I keep saying Kawhi, KD and Kyrie look around and they go, who are fertile environments for us to leverage ourselves? It is an absolute no-brainer. And the same things happen in Los Angeles. So that is the, that's this, this offseason should always, it will probably always be remembered by the crazy trade um, with Paul George, but it should be remembered longer term by the fact this was the year when um, organizational alignment and organizational strategy and ownership trumped. It finally trumped entitlement and weather and um, and brand and legacy of these franchises. Well, and I think the lesson without the Clippers is the Clippers are still working hard at the business side of things and they're still willing to experiment and, and they're sort of on the cutting edge of a lot of you know, a lot of these things like the mobile view now that you get that that was sort of one something that Barmer talked about and he was heavily pushing that. Whereas the Lakers to me are this fat bloated, lazy thing that's just like you know, we got LeBron. Well, they didn't work to get yeah, LeBron. That's a great I mean point. LeBron chose them, you know, that's just a great point. out of nothing. But- they're not even fat and lazy. That they're thin. Why? By what we hear, right? Is they don't invest in all the scouting and basketball ops the way other teams do. They they actually quite thin in terms of their basketball ops because they trade on their brand and their legacy. They feel like they don't have to do all that because they can they can just attract the best. Um, well, whereas, I think they think if they honestly think if we draft a player, he's automatically better as soon as he comes in and puts on the the purple and gold. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that that's the sort of mentality yeah. that they've built up over it's the no years. It's no accident. It's no accident. You've seen Julius Randle and D'Angelo Russell thrive, you know, outside of what LA. Well, no, that's where no if accident. you're the Pelicans, yeah. you've got to be excited because you've now got three guys, and particularly Ingram and Ball, who are now stepping out of that that system. Who knows what they they may be able to become, getting away from that. I know. Imagine. Oh, sorry, we're going to we're going to play, but JJ Redick. Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday, that's fun, right, with, um, with well, but that, And crazy. I think you've got another point. The, the ownership situation in New Orleans is another, it's it's turned out well, to be a pretty decent what, um, situation there, I would, I would they, argue. The, the Anthony Davis fiasco was, I think, saved the franchise. What do I mean by that? 
the the Loomises were so obsessed with the Saints um, and that horrible call in the game, right? And they were almost literally thinking about filing lawsuits. So they did file lawsuits against the the referees for the most egregious penalty that they were angry, angry and obsessed with their football team. Pardon me. What Anthony Davis did has got their attention. They're like, holy shit. We had the superstar over there. That's gotten our attention the way that this has been completely botched. And then Demps couldn't even execute a trade because he was too proud. And uh, it failed. And that completely rotted their gate sales. And it was an embarrassment right from February to the end of the season. That got their attention to finally fire Dell Demps and bring in themselves a proper basketball man. And David Griffin. So your very, one of your first questions was about empowerment. That's what you're going to see. So empowerment works in places like New Orleans where they're very deep-pocketed, but they don't really care. Like, they just want a really great basketball mind to run their basketball team. This is if they're football owners, right? They got far bigger interest than, than the Pelicans. So I think David Griffin, especially with how his experiences went in Cleveland, was has so far been the perfect fit, right, to navigate them through the AD trade, and then how now to think about um, Zion parallels to LeBron and all the lessons he learned about how not to build a team around your 19-year-old phenom with LeBron. That, for me, is why that's such a that's such an obvious union and why such a brilliant choice by the Loomises to bring David Griffin in because no doubt that was a big part of his conversation and his presentation, which is I lived with it. I lived with it with LeBron for seven years, and here's what I've done differently, and here's what I'll do with Zion. So I can imagine that was the entire conversation, Daz, wasn't it? What's happening and how we should treat Zion. So that's well, why I think, I'm, and I'm, I think it's the, it shows yeah. you the way you need to run an organization in terms of get the right people in, get out of the way, and let them well, do their job. Or, or do what Steve Ballmer does: is get really involved appropriately. Right, Ballmer is a really good negotiator. Balmer has $40 billion. So when he can probably get into pitch meetings and talk about all the amazing toys he's going to buy and things he's going to invest in. Yep. He's also a deeply, deeply successful entrepreneur, right? And so he can do things like, right? I'm not saying it's Balmer's idea, but he's had some very, he's been on um, all kinds of different media talking about how he's trying to bring people from different industries, right? Bring them outside of basketball, different industries to come, Think about fan experience and revenue stream generation. They're the franchise that hired Lee Jenkins, right? If I'm not mistaken. That's right. The yeah. amazing, the, the amazing Sports Illustrated writer yeah. to be head of story or head of head of strategy. He's got some interesting role where he's right trying to basically curate, um, like a um, like corporate language, a value proposition, right? What's unique about being a Clipper and going deep with that around meaning and team. And, oh, by the way, they've still got Doc Rivers, who, man, he redeemed himself last year, didn't he, Daz? I think I was in the camp of, I think you might have been as well, we're going, man, this guy's lost interest, and is he going to care about Lob City after they all get traded, and, like, he's, you know, time for him to retire finally? But, man, oh, man, oh, man, he seems to have been completely... Well, they've energized him, I think. And, energized? And I think it was yeah, an unhappy exactly. environment. I mean, you look back now and you think... You could imagine with Chris Paul and, and Griffin and, and DeAndre Jordan there, I don't think it would have been the happiest work environment um, for a lot of people, including, I, I would imagine, Doc Rivers. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So you got so back to your question, which I go, I think you, it's not... 
I think the owners need to make a read, right, and have a really clear assessment and a clear self-evaluation of what their skills are, when to lean in and be involved and be part of it. So, again, I'm going to tip my hat to the Indiana Pacers owner, as old school as it is going, hey, you know what, um, this might not pay us back for a year or a decade, but I'm going to pick up the phone and call the owner of the Bucks about the fact that we're going to want to sign one of their restricted free agents to a deal and try and work out a sign and trade. Right? That's an owner using his business now to go, you know what, there's a long-term play here because if I piss them off now, I'm going to piss off the team who's got the MVP. I, I probably don't want to make an enemy out of them because guess what? You know what? We're going to have restricted free agents one day as well, and I just don't need an enemy in the NBA. That's an owner picking their spots when to lean in and do something. And right, that's why we just we see all this. The Robert Sarver will be always Exhibit A and Exhibit B for overreaching, over meddling, um, hire himself a weak-minded general manager like James Jones so he can basically purchase the right to just meddle in everything they do. It says absolutely no clue. I think Vivek in um, Sacramento went through that in the early years, right? Well, I was going to say, he's a good example of a guy that's learnt on the job, and I he's think Vlade's learnt on the job. And he I remember Harala Bogueras exactly talking about him, and he said, say what you like about Vivek, he's not a dumb guy, he's a really smart guy, and he'll learn from this. And he was 100% right, because he made some he terrible errors yeah. in, in his opening. But it's also about self-awareness, does too, I guess. And that's, and a that's big one. That's yeah. where you've got to understand your strengths, understand your weaknesses, but also recognise your mistakes and say, you know, I'm in, I'm in over my head going into that area of the business. I need to, to leave, leave that to the people that know a little bit more. Because sometimes you might think you know a little bit about those things until you actually start making some decisions and then you balls it up. Can I pose, can I pose a question to you without notice, which is the, to this point about self-awareness, I got to thinking about the Dallas Mavericks, um, who coming in this offseason, right, has a pretty big market, uh, pretty good brand, um, pretty good ownership and a long history, right, with, with Mark Cuban. They've got uh, one superstar in Luka and one potential, again, superstar we'll see with, um, with Zinger once he's back on the court and, and running, and tons and tons of cap space. And yet they completely strike out, Daz, absolutely nothing. Right. They, they dump Harrison Barnes to open up... Well, they couldn't even space. get Danny Green. They couldn't get Danny Green. Well, they wouldn't pay him $15 million a year, so... Well, he had a I, reasonable... I he had the, the offer in that ballpark, I think. I don't think it was quite that much. Yeah, yeah. But I guess my question to you, though, is this question about self-awareness. And I know, So the Mavericks have gone through this underneath, embarrassingly underneath a Mark Cuban's watch. They had this... I don't know if it's one individual, and I'm gonna, I don't want to misrepresent it, but some sexual harassment and a bit of an unhealthy working environment, let's just call it that, right? A very unhealthy place from a, um, uh, it's various claims, right? Yeah. They got investigated and got cleaned out, and Mark Cuban was, whether he was complicit or completely ignorant and embarrassed by it, truth's probably somewhere in the middle. But um, I don't know, and I don't know if that's played a role, but my question is, <clears throat> that's, a, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty, on paper, and from the outside in, with Mark Cuban and Rick Carlisle, that's a pretty stable franchise with a really good alignment from strategy, philosophy, into execution on the court with some young superstars in cap space. Is there something that we're not seeing about Mark Cuban, maybe how he's perceived around the league, Daz? I mean, 
I'm just guessing, do you probably know a lot more from your, obviously your Texas basketball kind of connections? What's, what's your view on, on Dallas and what are we to take away from the fact that they've been, they continue to strike out in free agency? Like, is there something about ownership that we're not seeing? Oh, like, look, I your, think with the ownership stuff, and, and Cuban would say this himself, I mean, Cuban was on the cutting edge. You want to talk about fan experience yeah. and, and building the business side. But he would also meddle occasionally, I think it's fair to say, in basketball operations. Um, but probably not too much to totally derail the, the situation. I mean, they were the first team to sort of put the microphones on the on the baskets and... Um, do a lot of a lot of the things you now see in in NBA arenas. A number of them would have been started in Dallas from what what Mark Cuban did. So he revolutionised the fan experience in many ways. Mm. And, and looking after players, I mean that was also unheard of. Some of the things he was doing for players in the early days, people were just blown away. And that's that's where they were getting free agents. Um, but I think in terms of what happened, he he would admit himself he took the, he took his eye off the ball. He's got his finger in too many pies. Maybe. He's burnt on Shark Tank for too long over there, doesn't he? He's yeah. investing in too many other different businesses. Yeah. And he just, I think it's one of those things, he, he got some complaints and thought, oh, I know that guy's a stand-up guy, he'll he'll sort it out himself. And then the guy just kept doing the same thing. So he, he was completely in the wrong there. I don't know that that's necessarily, though, why they're not been getting the free agents. But I think... It, it, it would be interesting, I guess, to be a fly on the wall to some of the pitch meetings that they would have had uh, in terms of what they're trying to sell there because I don't think they know what they're trying to sell and I think that's the problem they've got at the moment because mm. I don't think they know how mm. is it going to look on the court with Luka Doncic and uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis. They don't really have a point guard yet. They don't really have... Uh, well, there's a number of positions really they don't have. Uh, you know, I'd argue that not, they're not really set at centre on that. They've got a few guys there nominally, and, and Porzingis can play there potentially as well. But I just think, and that's why there would have been, to me, an argument for bringing Porzingis back at the end of last year. I understand the injury risk, but just running it out there for maybe 10, 15 games and showing some free agents, this is the potential of this team. This is what you can see. This is what you'll be playing with. And I think they that's would have gone in there and said, this is... This is where, you know, this is what we see, and and players might struggle to visualise that because it's like, well, I'm not sure about that. Like, is Luca going to be a point guard now? Is he going to be the guy initiating all the actions? Is he going to play a little bit off ball? We've got someone else, and and that would obviously depend on who they're pitching. If they're pitching Kemba Walker, it's a different pitch, isn't it? Than if they're pitching, um, you know, one of. A, even a Kawhi, That's I'm sure they didn't get into the Kawhi sweepstakes, but they were named as with almost every big name free agent, and they struck out on all of them. Um, no so, Jimmy, no Kemba. That's no, right. Obviously, no Kyrie. Just the absolutely nothing. And I think there's probably a bit of a confused message coming out of there that they mm. don't quite know what they're selling at the moment. Um, so, mm. and look, I don't think they would have been devastated to miss out. I think there's probably a, an area then where they go, you know what. Let's sit back. We've got two years. There's going to be another nice free agent um, in 2021. We can sit back for the next two years, see what we've got with Porzingis and, and Doncic. And then the problem is they're already trading away draft picks, so that they're almost they're almost sort of backing themselves into a corner where they they have to well, that's it. score some free agents yeah. to, uh, yeah. to to get out of this or to, you know to build a team around Luka Doncic. So and you know, it's not I, going to be good enough with this them too. 
Giannis would make a nice fit there. You know, the way he can, you know, beast everyone. And well, Giannis has gone to the Knicks, Des, haven't you heard? Yeah, him and Ronald James Barrett, or whatever his name is. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, him and Bobby Portis. Yeah. yeah. But I always fantasized as a Bucks player. I thought the ultimate five next to him before we met Burke Lopez was Zinger. Right, so that Giannis can play the floor and play the four, and be that ball hawking, free, freelancing um, beast um, of a help defense, while Zinger shoots threes and does pick and pops and stuff. Is the ultimate, mm. the ultimate four or five pairing. So I only, I only half jest would say from a basketball perspective, if Giannis hit free agency, I go fuck. I'd look hard at work playing with Luca and the Zinger, plus also the non-American thing. We have the international flavor there, which is, uh, again, I think Luca probably plays a little more like an American, a bit selfish and bit quite up himself and thinks he's, you know, God's gift. But, um, you know, by the same token, he also doesn't have deep relationships like these. A lot of these guys have, you know, grew up, grew up playing, you know, high school and McDonald's All-American and AAU stuff and college ball together. So that's a complete stray from the topic, but I would... I would respect Giannis if Zinger is healthy, has an amazing season, <laughs> and uh, Luca continues to make you know make an All Star game. I probably think this year, I wouldn't blame Giannis for going to play in Dallas. Let it be said. Let it be said. <laughs> I hope he picks. I hope he picks basketball if he leaves Milwaukee. Well, I wouldn't be happy with him going to Dallas. So they put him a bit too close. Oh to man, that'd be, oh, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. But, so that's why I thought the, this conversation would go was the. Are there any Oklahoma City fans that are going to follow, you know, the, the Clippers? Are there any Toronto fans that are going to follow the Clippers? I mean, what's your? This I guess the, the other the side of the oh, Harmon era. I what don't. Do you, I think there'll be yeah. there'll be OKC fans that'll follow Westbrook wherever he goes, and I'm assuming he's not going to stay in OKC. So I think there oh, will, there right. will be fans. And and look, there are people that follow LeBron James. Uh, I've got I've got a mate of mine that just. Every, wherever LeBron goes, that's who he goes for. So you know, I think it does happen. But it's at the very sure, tippy the top, elite, elite, yeah. elite. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and I don't think you know Kawhi hasn't built up the the sort of loyalty um, in Toronto, and certainly not in San Antonio um, but, for people so Cram, to follow him. Crammy's not going to be a Nets fan. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> <laughs> if Steph Curry goes back to Charlotte, maybe um, he'd follow him there, but uh, yeah. not not KD, I'm afraid. Not going to so. buy a Nets jersey, all right. No. So, look, a couple of last things, Daz. Just yeah. pick, pick one team that you want to talk about that interested you, I guess, positive to, positively and negatively um, in the off-season, and I might give you one, one of mine each. I'm going to go... Um, I have not done any prep, but I really like what Memphis is doing, Des. So I like the job Morant. I like how they've been using um, cap space. I like how they're taking um, uh, who did they just get? No, well, just they got Iguodala, the the... for example. Iggy, for example. But right? didn't wave him. Said, didn't said we're going to try and They're going to wait until they trade him, right? So I think between... Um, uh, Triple J and uh, John Morant. That's going to be a really fun team to, to watch. Finally, and yeah, I just like how they're like how they're going about their business, right? Almost the antithesis of the Knicks. So I'm going to pick the Knicks, which is the easy one. Then maybe I can think of another shitty team, <laughs> which is the. Just think about now, where um, 
there are pl- teams like Oklahoma City or like the Lakers or like the Clippers or like Toronto who would love to open up cap space, but they can't, especially OKC. What have the Knicks done? They've given away all their cap space to sign Taj Gibson and Bobby Portis and insert retard here. <laughs> and so I go, it's just the casual fans or nerd fans like us can look at a strategy and go, for a franchise like that, if you miss out on the top, top free agents, okay, be patient. Let your cap space sit there because you just don't know what's going to happen. Because guess what the Oklahoma City would love more than nothing else right now is to give away Stephen Adams, to give away Russell Westbrook. But guess what? The Knicks don't have any cap space. So I actually believe, Daz, I'm going to go even so far, I'm going to double down on this and go, I believe that the Knicks could have had Stephen Adams for free, right? But instead, they're going to pay Taj Gibson, yeah. right? So I go, there's stuff like that just drives me well, and that, insane. That's, that right? smells of an owner that just can't sit, sit still and has to use it. We've got cap space, we've got to sign someone. Give me a list of players. So, so general managers under general pressure manager saying, or you know. if you can't get them, get the best available, do yep. what you need to do. Like Julius Randle, I like that signing. He's a player. Like he's a good volume player. He's a good guy, but stop there. Well, any of the signings sign in a vacuum. Don't any, sign, any of the yeah. signings in a vacuum you could defend. But when, it's like what Miami did a couple of years ago. But when you combine them all together, it's just like, what are you doing? Why? You just killed all your cap space. They, you know what? I would. I'm, you watch what's going to happen. I almost guarantee, if we start to see the Russ uh, OKC sell off, there's teams who are going to demand a pick mm. plus a player like Schroeder. Like I don't love Dennis Schroeder, but he's an NBA player, right? So I go, someone's going to get Dennis Schroeder and a future first, or Dennis Schroeder and Terrence Ferguson to get off of his contract. I almost guarantee it. Russ Westbrook might be valuable by himself. You could talk yourself into him, right? Especially because it's going to have to be, he makes so much money, so their salary is going to come back. But again, I think even Westbrook to the Knicks, if they'd had anything, they've had they've had um, cap space. Again, his timeline's probably not right, but you could have milked picks plus Westbrook just to take his money from them, yeah. to get them out of the, multi, the, the repeater tax and let them hit reset. I bet they could have done it, so... I'm liking Memphis, and I, won't, I was light on specifics there, but I just like what they've done. I think they're going to be fun to watch. I think they're going to be athletic. They've completely changed the complexion of that franchise. Um, I just like what they kind of under-the-radar team that's not going to make the playoffs by any stretch, let's be clear about it. Um, well, they've put their hand up and said, dump your contracts here. We're, yeah, they're, we'll like, take they're some. like Atlanta West. That's right, exactly. Well, I'll tell you, they got some nice picks. The Golden State pick was only top four protected and then unprotected. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. And they're yeah. out to 2024, 20, 2025. 20, so yeah. that was a... And, and they're now talking about trading Iggy. So they might... Without Iggy pay, playing a game for them, they might end up with a couple of first-round picks yeah. out of it without doing anything. So and my, and my last one's like the bandwagon pick. It's hard not to talk about what the Jazz have done, Daz, right? Um, which is Conley... And yep. moved favors on for picks. And, um, and Bogdanovich. Bogger was a big get. 
where that's a that's a fascinating domino if you believe Windhorst and what he heard. But a, that's a different conversation for a different day. But Bogger now, right, with both of them, right, with um, with Conley and with Bogger, we suddenly now have Donovan Mitchell's not only he used to be the option one one A one B and one C that was it the creator the shot maker the three point taker it's now he's got three guys to help him carry the load Conley can create his own shot Conley can catch and shoot Conley's a smart 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 distributor of the ball and Bogger proved last year right in, in spurts he can be your he can score twenty points a game if you need to he can an open shot. He's not going to defend much, right, and rebound much, but he's a really good offensive player. So I think that they're going to become a little bit less defense-reliant, which is good for them, which is really good for them. It helps particularly why I love those signings. That makes really, really good players like Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles, that makes them even more valuable because instead of being number three and number four on the team, they can now be like number six and number seven, which makes them really, really, really terrific. So it's impossible not to call out what Utah has done just in terms of a team who wasn't going to get tons of top-end free agency but was smart enough. They overpaid for Bogger, but I think that was a very good calculated risk. So yeah. in contrast to what they've done in years past, I love what they did this year. Well, I liked what Indiana did, Daz, and not so much for oh. next season, but just how they've set their team up. Uh, I remember I woke up on, on draft day morning and... Um, I couldn't believe that uh, Indiana miraculously hoodwinked uh, the Phoenix Suns <laughs> into trading T.J. Warren. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> so they picked up T.J. Warren and a second-round pick, uh, yeah. basically for cash. And I thought I was seeing things. I thought I must be there. Must be something wrong here. There must have been a second-round pick going back, or first-round pick future protected, or something. I'm missing something with this trade. No. It was just straight up, we're sending to Jay Warren. And forget the fact that Phoenix later drafted, um, traded Dan in the draft to draft a guy that's uh, had dodgy hips and is about 45 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was like the love oh child of Grievous Vasquez and Malcolm Brogdon. And it's just Brandon like they're Roy operating in a different dimension and they've just got no... They don't do any scouting. Oh. They don't do any... Well, this is what I thought you were going to say, building on to Memphis. They also just traded Josh Jackson to Memphis for, like, a bag of chips, right? <laughs> well, that was, after he, that was after he got bailed. his baby. Was that before or after he got his baby high? <laughs> well, I don't think they actually asked the baby if she was high. They just said he smoked weed in the room with her. So we don't know about her tolerance level. <laughs> Maybe she's been doing harder drugs. Oh, I've got Honestly. to... <laughs> anyway, so they, they pick up TJ Warren basically for nothing. They get Malcolm Brogdon. So I think them two additions uh, just made the team younger. Now, I don't, I don't know when... Vic's probably not going to be back until December, January, but I just like the fact that they, they got a little bit younger. They're now going to release Sabonis and Turner... Um, and they and they picked a nice guy, the um, the European guy in the draft. Or his name, I'm not going to try and um, try and pronounce at the moment. But they're high on him as well, so they're a nice nice draft pick. Also, I don't think they're necessarily set up. I, th- I think they're going to be a sort of five six seed this year. But I'm going to be very interested to see where this team is in say one two seasons time. Um, I think that I, I think that's a dangerous team in the playoffs if Vic comes back healthy. If Vic comes back healthy, can, definitely because they're, they're a nightmare big. defensively. 
they're big, they're heady, and they're just strong, right? It's a Brogdon, Oladipo, um, Sabonis. Like, that's just a really heady... Is Thad Young... What happened to Thad Young? He went to the Bulls. I... What? Yep. Why would he do that? Uh, he likes oh, money, he like... apparently. Does he like money? <laughs> oh, for... He's another guy that likes money. Okay, that's a move I don't like. I think Indiana... Oh, Jeremy Lamb was the other guy they got, who, who I didn't mind that signing over, and neither yeah, were missing. But again, I think Thad, Thad I think it's going to be a, a loss for them, because that's what made them such a, a nuisance to defend Giannis, is when you had Sabonis and Young, or Turner and Young, that Young was the common denominator there. He's a really good defender. Under... This is one of those underrated NBA players, Ed Young, I tell you what. Yeah, it's does. a shame he's gone to the Bulls. He'll just fade into significance there. But, um, oh. but then That sounds like a Trevor Ariza and Phoenix sort of deal where he'll be there until February and then he'll be gone, hopefully, to someplace useful. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, but, but your point, though, is that Indiana's gotten a lot of shooting and um, – and more playmaking. Well, I think That's TJ Warren, I think he's going to be an asset for them. I, I, you, it's not bad having a guy that can just create his own shot. He can give you 80% shot. of bogger. He's 80% bogger. Yep. yep. He's a shooter. I agree. Yep. Good he's, transition. And I think he'll yep. be a better defender than what he was in Phoenix. I mean, that was just a train wreck in Phoenix. I think he's another guy like Alex Len. As soon as he gets out of that that uh, that dumpster fire, yeah. he's going to be much better. Yeah. He's going to be much yeah, better. That's a, that's a good point. The team... What about one... One team you hate, yeah. Yeah, one team what I hated like? uh, was Charlotte. I just think, what oh, are you, what are you doing one. with Terry Rozier? That was the worst signing of the off season. I mean, this this guy is Tony Delk two point oh. Does he? <laughs> he's a shoot first point guard that can't shoot. So, and I mean, I remember when Tony Delk scored fifty points. Uh, earlier in his career, and we were all like, "Whoa, Tony Delk! He might be the best. <laughs> he might be the best of the, that Kentucky team." And uh, he didn't have another relevant NBA moment. I just think, what are you doing? Like it was just a panic move to say, "We need to replace Kemba. Let's do a sign and trade." Boston would have been just rubbing their hands together at that. Whatever. Like, it was yeah, like, are you kidding? Unbelievable! Get this cancer off our team. Yeah. Just a terrible, terrible. That that's and that's just a sign that they would have almost. Uh, so you call him Doc. I think Rozier is Reggie Jackson 2.0. I think he's just going to chuck and shoot and whinge when he doesn't get the you know doesn't get enough attempts. And I think he's Reggie Jackson. But yeah, Tony Delk is an even better obscure reference. And then yeah. Mitch Kupchak said, "Oh, they asked him. They said, are you are you in?" Um, are you in contention mode or something like that? Oh, no, are you in rebuild mode yet? And he said, oh, we haven't decided whether we're in rebuild mode. We'll see what other free agents we can attract. And this was yesterday. It's like, what other free agents are out there? Am I missing something? One, they don't have any cap space because they paid Nick Batum, Bismack, Biombo, Marvin Williams, and a whole, you know, whatever, MKG, tons of money. So, yeah, they don't, they don't have any. No. That, yeah, they're they're Orlando North. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, they're, they're, yeah. it's a sad situation. It's a sad situation. The last question is, Daz, before I let you go, what do you think's worse, having Ernie Grunfeld as your GM or just having no GM? No, Grunfeld. <laughs> For sure. Well, the only reason I say that is, this was my favourite favorite moment of the draft, oh, when no. um, the Wizards drafted Rui Hashimura. 
who I, I actually liked. I was hoping he might fall yeah. in the Spurs in some of the early mocks he had. And they said, were you surprised that Washington uh, picked you? And he said, well, given that I didn't work out for them and didn't, given that I never spoke to anyone from the organisation even once, he said, yeah, I was pretty surprised. <laughs> Someone wants some tape, Daz. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Uh, well, that, that is the best. We can't be worse than Jan Mahinmi, who got $198 million for two years or whatever. So. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you're Washington Wizards. <laughs> Watch the Wizards, everyone. Watch them bring Jabari back, and they'll flourish. Yeah. Honest to God. They haven't hired anyone? So did no, they, they still thought, do not have a GM. I thought the Denver guy, the, he didn't take the job, did he? The well, unless I've missed something, but last I checked, they, they still were operating without a GM. So. Holy cow. Yeah, because why would you need a GM for a draft and free agency when 40% of the league is unrestricted? Yeah, oh. brilliant. No, brilliant. Oh, well, that's well cool. played. Well, yeah, well played. played. Well played. All right. That of was course. Good. All right, mate. Can I... Yeah. All right. Now, I'm up for it. What do you think of the 76ers? Uh, I've got to say. So they lose, lose JJ. Let's recap. They lose JJ Redick. They lose Jimmy Butler, the only guy who could initiate plays in the playoffs. But they gain, you know, wingy, rangy Josh Richardson. And Al Horford, right? And obviously Tobias Harris is back. Then they had some bench pieces. I'm probably overlooking somebody, but but effectively it's minus Jimmy Butler, minus JJ Reddick, plus Josh Richardson, plus Al Horford. What do you reckon? I think they're going to be scary defensively, uh, but I think they're going to be scary offensively, and that, no, not in a good way, because oh. I just don't see I don't see the spacing there. Uh, I don't know where you're going to hide. Ben Simmons is a guy you got to hide on offense, does not hide on defense. You talk about guy, guys hiding guys on defense. He's got to hide on offense. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I'm I'm not convinced. I've got to see it on the court. Um, and I just I worry late in games this team's going to struggle to score in in close games. Yeah. And that's right. exactly what happened last year. Um, look, I think Jimmy Butler probably the most overrated player in the NBA. I've never been a big Jimmy Butler fan. Mm. Didn't bother me that they let him go. Um, and, I, and I think Josh Richardson uh, is a nice player. I, I saw him have some good games. And Miami ranked him very highly. I didn't watch a lot of Miami. Not, not a team that, that excited me a hell of a lot in the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Um, and we know what Al Horford can do. I mean, he's a, although it, it did amuse me, people saying, well, that's a good player to have the Mark Giannis. And I'm thinking... Did you watch what Giannis did to him against the Celtics? Oh, yeah, like, he's lost two steps. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't think that's I don't think that's the signing that everyone seems to think it is um, defensively. Although you know, with other good defensive players, I think he's going to be more effective than probably what he was um, with you know next to Gordon Haywood in in Boston. Um, I think he's going to age like Paul Gasol, which is that the decline is going to be because he's so skilled. It will be a little bit less pronounced, but when you're because of the lack of athleticism, it's just going to be so vivid and so obvious. Like, I think that's the big risk for them is that two years from now he'll have negative value. That's the big risk for them. Well, four years was the one that that's what got me. That's it. That's that's a big 
that's a big investment, and that's sort of locking this. I mean, this is what you're talking about with the Bucks, not wanting to lock in, lock in the team. They've sort of locked this team in now because they're oh, working on a yeah. Ben Simmons uh, full extension. So it's like they're not going to have much room to move yeah, out of this happening. team. So yep. if this team doesn't get it done, uh, I think Brett Brown's certainly going to be on the chopping block because it's, the only thing they can really change now is the coach because I don't think they're necessarily easily movable contracts either just given the numbers that are attached to them um, as much as anything else so I'm, I'm not convinced I'm not as high on Philly I know a lot of people got very excited about Philly I'm not sure what to make of Tobias Harris let's see what he's like next year uh, in that same role again so um, and the other thing the, the final point I'd make to on the Eastern Conference it has amused me that the Boston Celtics seem to just think everything that went wrong last year was Kyrie Irving's fault and it had nothing to do with the fact that their their highest paid player was uh, was basically Tordelli. Um, it was all Kyrie's fault. So everything's going to be hunky dory in uh, in Boston next year. And I think uh, I think they might need to rethink that because there was a lot more problems with that roster and what happened there last season than just uh, Kyrie Irving pouting in a few press conferences. Well, we all watched what happened in the playoffs. They got absolutely trucked against the Bucks, We all saw the games. We all know, like we called this, in, I certainly called it out in November, December, where the teacher's pet, and Brad Stevens was a terrible coach. Um, he was absolutely terrible. Terrible. Mm. He let Jalen Brown hate, openly hate Kyrie Irving, couldn't solve it. Teacher's pet with Gordon Hayward, couldn't solve it. Um, with the metaphor that Terry, what Terry Rozier said, I used to be in the passenger seat, now I'm living in the trunk, the boot. Terrible, didn't man. Terrible coaching. How that doesn't get reported is only evidence of the even as deep as the Los Angeles Lakers, the this egotistic, self-centered, entitled, elitist attitude about historic success, giving them all the right to make all these judgments and throwing Kyrie under the bus. I think it is the greatest. That's a great point you made. You just got me fired up about just how much that bleeping and Jackie McMullen bleeping included. I had a lot of respect for her until she goes, oh, it's overblown and all the stuff about Brad Stevens and favoritism about about Gordon Hare, ah, that's shenanigans. I'm calling shenanigans on that. Calling shenanigans on you, you sycophant blinded <laughs> by your closeness. That team was in so much talent on paper. Las Vegas had them at what? Was there over under at 57 or something crazy? 57, Dad? 58 wins, yeah. Yeah, and they're absolutely embarrassed. Like I was like, the coaching travesty is absolutely, he was a bottom five coach in the league, Daz. No one's talking about it. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. So I go, yeah, Kyrie, yeah, um, mercurial, quirky, here and there, whatever. Guess what? You fucking traded for him. You brought him, you strategically threw Isaiah Thomas into the, <laughs> into the pit of death to bring him in, and he's the problem. Like, are you, anyway, absolute ignorant blindness. I even say worse than Los Angeles. I say it's worse. They've been just successful enough and drafted well enough, and look, Danny Ainge is ten times the GM that whatever clown is running the fucking Los Angeles Lakers, but that makes that, that makes the last season and what they've done just even more egregious. Thank well, you, getting right. Kemba was a nice uh, consolation prize, but they have lost their best player, Daz Marcus Morris. He's gone to the San Antonio Spurs, so watch him flourish. You know what, Daz? He was a, he was one of their most reliable professional NBA players last year. That's not even exact. He was 
for 82 games. That guy gave it, right? He was, oh, no he doubt. Was healthy. I'm not, I'm not joking. Him and L. Horford were the they were the stalwarts of that franchise last year. Absolutely the most reliable, consistent, professional contributors to um, to winning. And of course, they let him go. So who who they who they bring in? Uh, Kemba. Uh, they brought in Kemba and uh, oh, and Canter. Yeah, so, nice defense. Yeah, yeah. going to be great. Kemba That's a top. big upgrade. Yeah, the the back. yeah, well done. Fantastic. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Daz, we'll leave it there. It's good to see that you can still get riled up about the Boston Celtics. Ah, oh, fuck Brad Stevens. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, mate. Well, look, we'll try and get into some actual off-season reviews, I guess, and, and go through a bit more team by team uh, over the next few weeks as we catch up. But uh, I just I wanted to have that broad overview tonight of the, the ownership situation and, and how, how, much, how important yeah. it is. It matters a lot. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right, good one, mate. We'll talk again soon. See you, buddy. Cheers, mate.